This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with Muck Delivery. So the only thing left to say is, you in? Order now on the McDonald's app, and you can also get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants, 18 plus. Rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee, and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello and welcome to Albion Analysis with me, Chris Hall, and him, Pete George. Um, well, as many of you might have noticed from some of the uh, some of the adverts that have been running mid midway through this, we are part of the Talksport Fan Network now, and the Talksport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top tier lineup of food right to your door. Score all of your football food favourites, no matter the result. You'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app, and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow only via app at participating restaurants 18 plus rewards registration required points only on menu items delivery fee and terms apply see mcdonalds.com and pete i'm 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 happy to say i tucked into a mcdonalds myself after our exertions earlier this week because we were very honored to be invited down to the Hawthorns to be to play on the Hawthorns pitch as part of the annual uh, media uh, media versus West Bromwich Albion staff game. Um, just to say as well that 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 game, as well as being uh, an enjoyable afternoon in the sun for those of us who participated, was also in honour of uh, Nigel Pearson, the the broadcaster who very very sadly passed away last year Nigel was a was a fantastic man a, a lovely friend and and is much missed and it's very nice that annually we can we can raise money for a charity that was very very close to his heart the speedway races benevolent funds so if you if, if you do have a couple of quid that you don't know what to do uh, what to do with um that would be a great place for it and it would be much appreciated i'm sure and uh nigel's family that's a that that's a charity that's close to their heart and it was close to nigel so but a brilliant afternoon uh pete even if we got took absolutely to the cleaners by a a team that uh, in the in the Albion um, staff team, which I, without wanting to make too many excuses, I think probably as an average age was probably about twenty years younger than ours, wasn't it? 
yeah, it was a brilliant experience and a dream come true for me and all for a good cause as well. But yeah, uh, we got we got battered by them. Um, you know, Jez is a, a very good player and he just ran the show. Yeah, yeah, Jez, Jez Mulholland, who uh, who runs a lot of the lot of the content going out of Albion, of course, was an academy player, and yeah, he absolutely, absolutely bossed it. Although I have to say, uh, my my uh, my co-host's performance at centre forward um, with uh, with hold, uh, holding the ball up and bringing others in was uh, was was pretty superb. But I have to say, Pete, I th- there was one moment. He he's he's got the ball into the penalty area, and he's just gone to go round the keeper and slot it in, and the keeper is just about done enough. That I I honestly thought there was a moment where we were going to see you wheeling away towards uh, the Smeth. It was in front of the Smethic. I thought we were going to see you wheeling away towards the the, the Smethic end, maybe um, arm aloft, Peter Odom, wingy style. I, I imagine you were already starting to think about your celebration, weren't you, as you as you picked that ball up? Yeah, I was. I, I took a touch and looked up to see where the keeper was, and he was you know, already at my feet. So didn't didn't get a moment to even think about it. But yeah, missed my big chance there. I mean, I... Kind of, well, I didn't really make up for it, but I stopped my penalty away at the end, so I did end up putting the ball in the back of the net. Absolutely, yeah. And, uh, I'm, I'm proud to say I put I put my penalty away, and uh, I picked it was it was an eight one defeat, and uh, I'm, I'm I'm proud to say I got the assist for the for the one. So I'll uh, I'll take that with me, and uh, and that'll be that'll be a moment of pride for me. Um, something that I'm not sure that. Uh, that the the club should be overly proud of, though, um, Pete, and something that I wanted before we get on to the midfielders, which is the subject of today's podcast and analysing our midfielders and analysing who we should maybe be looking at bringing in, is that uh, over the over the last couple of days, the season ticket information has been uh, announced. Now, the season ticket information itself, I want to give the club enormous credit for. Like there's, there are a lot of negative things about our football club at the moment, and we all know what they are. And th- this does not, in any way, detract from the fact that there are a lot of problems in our club and a lot of problems that need fixing, and uh, and they stem back a lot to money and to the ownership. But you cannot fault the season ticket prices. The fact that children seventeen and under can have a twenty three pound season ticket I think is phenomenal whilst the some of the adult prices have snuck up slightly it's worth saying that they remain extremely extremely competitive I've seen our our local media pointing out that we're we're cheaper than the vast majority of championship clubs and even we're even cheaper than Warsaw down in league two with certain ticket prices so you have to give an enormous amount of credit for those prices remaining what they are. Whether people decide, given the circumstances of the club, to renew or not is entirely a personal decision. I'm not going to... If people want to make a stand, absolutely fine. That's that's their decision. If people say that going to West Bromwich Albion is far too uh, important to experience for them, then that is fine as well. That's a It's a personal decision. I'm certainly not going to have a go at anybody one one way or another. Where I am going to have a little bit of a dig, though, is it's around what the what the season ticket campaign was called, Pete, because I just think it's it's bizarre. It's it's really, really odd to call it your team, your legacy. I mean, whoever signed that off really 
what were you thinking? Because the only legacy going on at the moment is that of Gauchon Lai and that of seemingly running our football club into the ground. I know football clubs nowadays, and uh, and Joe Chapman did a, did a brilliant article on this in uh, on on Birmingham Live. I know football clubs seem to think that we need some sort of snappy line or marketing slogan to accompany season tickets. Personally, I don't really understand why. I don't I don't see how a, a snappy marketing slogan is going to make more people buy season tickets. You either are or you aren't. I don't think that the words your team, your legacy are going to make anybody anybody else buy. But I don't what I don't get is why they think that is appropriate. Do, uh, 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 are some people there so insulated in their own world that they don't actually see how the fans feel, that actually what they feel at the moment is that over 100 years of history of this football club is being threatened by the current ownership, by the legacy that is potentially being left behind by Gauch Online. And to use the word legacy to describe what is going on at the moment in, in, in this football club. And to call it our legacy, it's not our legacy. We're having our legacy as football fans, as what we believe West Bromwich Albion is, ruined by this current ownership. I'm not going to go too deep on it, Pete, because it's it, it it's four words that were attached to a season ticket campaign. And... It's again, it's not that deep, but it worries me that there's that that there's people at the football club who can't that that's gone through enough marketing meetings that nobody has stuck their hand up and gone, is this really appropriate at the moment? And that that concerns me that that, that the football club that there are people within that football club who are not who are not flagging these things that are so unaware of the general feeling of the football fans that they don't see the point that I'm I'm making here. I don't know I, I don't know whether you think I'm making a mountain out of a molehill here or whether this really is, you know, a concerning problem. Yeah, I mean I probably don't see it as much of a concerning problem as you, but it's, they've definitely failed to read the room by by using that little slogan or whatever you want to call it. Um and it's somewhere that the club would have got credit as well because the pricing is very reasonable. I mean, very good, especially for the season tickets for under 17s. Is it for like 25 quid or something? I'm not sure exactly, but you know, they got credit for it last season. Um, 23, were, mate, pound a game. 23, yeah. So, yeah, was, I mean, they deserve huge credit for that, especially with the current economic crisis and the cost of living crisis. So, yeah, I think they would have just got massive credit with that and they just kind of failed to read the room with the slogan and have kind of maybe missed out on some of the credit that they would have got because of that. Yeah, and it probably doesn't help the fact that it's come off the back as well of um, of Ken, Zuki Ken, refusing to answer questions from shareholders for Albion as, uh, as well, Pete, because obviously they, they put a long list of questions, I think it was 38 off the top of my head, questions to uh, to the ownership which they asked Suki Ken to to um, answer. Now, as far as I am aware, this is my understanding of the situation. The response that was sent to shareholders for Albion was asked to be kept the the exact wording to be kept largely confidential. However, the gist of it, again, as I understand it, just to be clear on that, is that no, I will not be answering any of those questions because one, I'm under no obligation to do so, and two because 
they they've cited confidentiality, which I don't really understand, to be honest. Uh, a little more detail on that point would be much appreciated because it sounds like a cop out to me. And where we've actually seen positive steps steps forward in the communication of the football club, because I think I think the likes of Ian Skidmore has got to take an enormous amount of credit and and Ron Gourlay as well. Look, we we give credit where it's due on this uh, on this podcast, and we um, um, and we we hand out uh, criticism where we feel it's due. And we criticise Ron Gourlay about a number of things, and I think he warrants criticism for a number of decisions that he's made. But I think the fact that he has regularly met with Action for Albion and that Ian Skidmore as 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 running the communications team has facilitated those meetings, I think is an enormously positive thing for the football club. I think I I think that's something that should happen, but it's not necessarily something that a lot of the clubs who have been in these very tangled ownership situations where there's a real distance between the supporters and the uh, and the ownership the hierarchy of the club haven't always met with, uh, with with action groups and supporters groups so i give I, I give ian and ron an awful lot of credit for doing that but action for albion have quite rightly said that they feel that the the only way that they can really move forward in terms of Action for Albion having um, having the knowledge that they need uh, and the outcomes they need from those meetings is is to now meet with Ken as well as or instead of depending on what is proposed Ian and Ron and that's understandable because they've had multiple meetings with uh, with with Ian and Ron and 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 and, and from what I understand Gourlay has said at some of those meetings there are certain questions I can't answer and that's fair enough he's not going to know absolutely everything so what action for Albion quite rightly have said is fair enough well you know let's let's meet with the man who can answer some of those questions then which they they don't expect Gauchon Lai to come over although that would be very very nice and would be appreciated but i can't see it happening but ken is the man who is around the football club more often than lie is so they've said let's meet with him and whilst i don't think as far as i'm aware there's been a steadfast no to that that has that hasn't been ken has not seemed to uh, to want to facilitate that meeting at any uh, either way and where ian and Ron Gourlay have tried to facilitate communication with the with the football club and live up to some of the promises that Ron Gourlay made in his initial address when he became chief executive of West Bromwich Albion Football Club. It seems like Ken's approach is to very much close the door on communication with the supporters group, not answer shareholders' questions, not speak to action for Albion, I would like for me to be proved wrong on this and that, and that he does facilitate that and that maybe he goes back on his refusal to answer questions but it just seems it just seems disappointing Pete that uh, that where I th- I think the club has made strides and that uh, as I say two members of uh, of the hierarchy of the football club in in Ian and Ron have really done their part in reconnecting with supporters over the last few months it seems like Ken is undoing an awful lot of that good work. Yeah, I mean, I think it's just kind of, well, I mean, I don't think it was a big ask for him to answer some questions from share, shareholders for Albion. Obviously, they've got financial interest in 
in the club as well as I'm sure they're all supporters as well. I don't think anyone's holding the shares for monetary gain, but they they have got money invested in the club and and deserve to have their questions answered as well. Um, and the fact that he's well not refused, I don't believe, but just kind of ignored the request to meet with Action for Albion. Then, yeah, it's just silence. And I think when the kind of things that are going around on in the club, silence definitely isn't a good thing because. If everything was hunky-dory, then you'd be a bit more transparent and open and be willing to answer questions and, and meet and, with the groups. And we don't we don't know what the plan is for this season either, do we, Pete? I mean, we, we're, we're about to do an, another podcast where we, we talk about the squad, who we think should stay, who we think should go, and who we, uh, who we think we should be signing. But we honestly don't know whether, whether what when we talk about potential signings, whether what we're talking about is utterly utterly unrealistic or whether or whether it actually could happen because no i don't expect every anybody to come out and give us chapter and verse but it would be nice if somebody if somebody gave us a little indication as to what 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 is the plan for 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 this summer are we going to have to cut our cloth uh and and try and bring down things like the wage bill in order to be ready for when the loan repayments kick in? Or are we rolling the dice a little bit and having another go and seeing if Carlos, with a squad that he's assembled, can get us out of this division? We don't know, do we? No, and it certainly made plan of these pods a bit easier if we did know, because we'd actually know what budget we've got to play with, but... Wouldn't it just? Although, I, uh, although I'll be honest, I'm not. I'm not expecting us to be high on their agenda. <laughs> no, I don't think so. Um... But yeah, I mean, I suppose the two options are kind of trying to reduce the wage bill and, and cut some of those costs in preparation for, well, I mean, parachute payments are out, run, have run out now. So just kind of adapting to what a, an average championship club can afford to spend, um, as well as having to repay the loans, obviously, and the interest on them. Or do we gamble um, and dig ourselves an even bigger financial hole with the hope of, of making it to the promised land and... And that being that sorting everything out in terms of the finances, yeah, you don't really know what we're going to do, and um, yeah, I I wouldn't like to take a guess either. No, neither would I, and uh, we will have to plough on regardless and talk about the the squad very much through the lens of how we see it rather than rather than what the financial plan of the club is because we don't know and today's podcast after our defenders won last week is all about the midfielders now just to be clear on our definition of what constitutes midfielders so you know what players we will be talking about today we're very much considering Albion's shape something of a 4-3-3 so today what we will be looking at is the players who play in either the two um deeper midfield slot so Yukoslu and Malumbi's position or in Swift's position so the 10 role we will very much consider the Jed Wallace's um Grady Dean Garner's Matt Phillips's even Adam Reach um when we when we look at the forwards um because we're going to look at that as the two wide and the uh, and the center forward um within the forwards so if if you wonder why there's no mention of those players today that's why they will be included they will be rolled into the attackers pod but just to start off today Pete and to start with the with the two um deeper positions and when I I started doing my research on this and I ended up kind of doing it very comparatively between 
OK and Malumbi. Now, they're clearly our, our two first choices. What I found is that they dovetailed beautifully as two players. I mean, they both scored uh, four goals last season. Both overscored their XG, um, OK by 0.9, Malumbi by just 0.2. But nonetheless, where we were critical after the Sheffield United game of how much we underscore our expected goals, it's worth saying that OK and Malumbi are two players who actually exceeded the number of goals that you would expect them to score. In terms of what they bring to the the table, progressive runs, progressive passes received, Malumbi absolutely dwarfs OK. Um, 81 to 30 in terms of progressive passes received. Uh, in terms of progressive runs, Malumbi's over double him as well, 47 to, to, to 21. They're quite similar in terms of uh, where what the passes they actually make, but where they massively differ is Yukoslu is in the 99th percentile for aerials one. He is also um, tackles and intercept tackles plus interceptions. He is at 125, which is the most in the squad equal with Connor Townsend, but Connor Townsend played a lot more minutes last season. So effectively, Yukoslu per 90 is, is better. Yukoslu 88th percentile for, for clearances. Um, but look, Mullumby's made four assists. Basically, you've got two defensive midfielders there, but one of them is very much a box to box type. He, he makes, um, he makes a lot of, uh, a lot of runs forward. Um, and, you, the other one, his average position is quite deep. He effectively drops in and plays as an extra extra centre half. They've both they're both just outside what I like to consider the sweet spot for a first choice player over a season of three thousand minutes. They're both uh, just over a hundred minutes off that. So they they don't. I would like to see both of them play a little bit more in terms of minutes. But what I would say as a as a pairing. Pete, when they are on the pitch, they're absolutely outstanding as as a pair. And I don't think there's any concern in my mind that we need to replace either of them in terms of a first choice. We'll get on to whether the backup options for them are good enough. That's a whole different question. But in terms of whether or not they're actually, as a partnership, good enough, whether we need somebody else to start in that role, no chance, not in my mind. And that's backed up again by the numbers because you, you look at the um, XG team success, which is a nice little bit of data that FB Ref gives us, which tells us um, w- basically which players see the biggest drop off in our expected goals when they're not on the field. And the only player who seems more important in that aspect than uh, than these two is John Swift. These two were second and third in that data. So John Swift, and we will come to him in more depth in a minute, is according to that piece of data and according to a lot of pieces of data, actually our most important player to have on the football field. But these two are second and third. And I I don't, there's no doubt in my mind that you want to keep them. I I don't think you need to go and sign anybody to replace either of them. As I say, we'll come to the backup options in a moment, but I just think they're a tremendous partnership who complement each other beautifully as well because because what Yukoslu can't do, Malumbi can, and what Malumbi can't do, it seems, uh, which is be completely disciplined, I think Yukoslu can. 
Yeah, I think they're very very good players. As you say, Yokozhalu, obviously very good defensively, extremely good in the air, um, protects the back four nicely and has the discipline to stay back even when we're, we are attacking and provide us some some cover against counter-attacks. You know, he's very good with the ball at his feet. It's a high level of technical ability, but the one thing that he, he does often struggle with is his progressive passing in terms of just regular passes, just all his passes, his accuracy is very high. Um, but when you look at progressive passes, that's, that's fairly low. And it's I think it's something that you see in his game as well, just when you watch him, um, that he can often struggle to, to find the passes, the forward passes, and complete them accurately. Um, and in terms of Mullumby, he's, he's kind of similar. That, but the thing with him is he doesn't try and he doesn't attempt aggressive passes. I mean, I think per hundred passes he he attempts something like nine, which is you know really low, one of the lowest in terms of central midfielders in the championship this season. Um, but he does carry the ball forward quite well instead. So it's kind of a bit of um, you know he doesn't do he doesn't move it forward with his passes but he carries it is forward, that probably so. why swift is uh, according to the data our most important player because that's the one thing that uh, and, and swift uh, in terms of progressive passes you won't be uh, nobody listening will be surprised to uh, to find out it's not only comfortably the the best in our squad but also one of the best in the division and that's probably why he's so vital because neither of the two guys behind him really do that particularly well yeah, but the thing with Swifts is that they're probably from higher positions. So kind of after the the first phase of build-up, if you like, he kind of try, moves it into to more advanced areas. Whereas Yukuzhu and Mulumbi are quite often receiving it off the defence and trying to play it into like the middle third and then into Swift, for example, and then he'll play it into the, the final third. So unless Swift's going to drop in very deep, then he's he's kind of not able to act as a replacement for them. I mean, you don't really want him dropping in deep because you want him to be there for people to be able to pass to him. Obviously, Townsend, we always talk about being good with his progressive passes, and he's quite often the the way that we do get forward, along with Dara O'Shea, and I'm just carrying it forward, which is an option if you can set up nice, well. And Malumbi tends to be in a position where he can he can offer that if we move the ball around well. Um, but yeah, I mean, the thing that kind of surprised me when I looked at the data is that they both rank really highly in terms of the percentile rank, how they compare to other central midfielders for their expected goals. Didn't really think they they got that many chances, but I mean, the data says otherwise. I don't know if that's that's from open play or maybe it's from corners that they kind of pick up those chances. But I would imagine a lot of your cost lose is from is from corners because what one of the one of the wrinkles really with with the OK Yukoslu is aerially he is one of the best players in the division. Yet he actually seems extremely poor at attacking set pieces, which is odd. Yeah, I've always thought that he seems to get up for headers really well, but not really attack them. Just kind of win the the aerial and kind of like useful. If the opposition are going long, but not useful, a few whipping crosses into the box or from set pieces. I was just thinking he had a couple of chances from um, after we won the ball high at the pitch as well. I'm thinking of I think it was Watford away. Did he get a goal where he after he won it high, or did he let it off to Wallace? I can't remember. But and there was a home game where he he might have got two goals as well. Um, I'm struggling to think that, of that. Now, that was but... that was the Preston game. Yeah, he he scored one from one from distance, and then the other one was where we won the ball back on the high press from the from the goalkeeper, and um, and it, he went he went through and finished very neatly. Yeah, I think that's what I was thinking of. Um, so maybe it's from that as well. But 
Um, obviously, Malumbi picked up a couple of goals towards the end of the season. That was a bit of a surprise, and and I mean, judging by the data, they deserve because he's he's been getting a, a fair amount of chances throughout the season. So that's obviously promising from promising thing for you two centre mids to be getting chances, especially when we're only playing with one striker. The other interesting thing about Yukoslu, Pete, is how good he is at creating space for himself. Um, I, I, one one bit of data that jumped out at me is he won 75% of his take-ons, which is extremely high. Now, not, uh, generally speaking, the only player with, with a higher number in the squad is Eric Peters, but you have to you have to take that with a massive pinch of salt because centre-halves are always going to be very, very high in that piece of data because... It just it, it we're not talking about five Ronaldo stepovers and going past someone here. We're talking about that one where he kind of takes it from the defence and just drifts out past the centre forward who's not really trying to tackle him anyway. But Yokoslus aren't really like that. Yokoslus are generally that one where he brings the ball down in the middle of the park and then he's just got that lovely little shift in him to just go beyond someone. And I just think he's such a safe, secure player on the ball Malumbi is a bit more of a risk taker neither of them as as you say are overly progressive and we'll come on to the options in a minute but it maybe would be nice if we had that more progressive option in there when we are chasing games to uh, to put them um to uh, to put them on I suppose the only the only negative that I would say about Malumbi but he is getting better at this is if you Koslu can stay fit and we have to take Yukoslu's fitness with a pinch of salt this season because as I said both were under under 3,000 minutes which is not ideal for me that uh, I, I like to see players who I consider to be guaranteed first choices with over 3,000 minutes over a course of a season once I see over 3,000 minutes I, I think that is a player that's been available a lot um, anything under that and it's a, just a little bit disappointing to me you, but you cost loose fitness. You have to take with a pinch of salt because he didn't have a preseason. He got he, he got uh, parachuted in having uh, having not had a club, and you know th- th- that was that was a difficult situation for him. I think we will probably see a different Yukoslu in terms of fitness next season when he's had a full preseason. Malumbi is generally fit a lot of the time, and he. he's he's very good in terms of his availability. Even when he got injured and we thought he was going to be out for a while, he came back extremely quickly. But where he is getting better, but he still needs some level of improvement, is Yukoslu doesn't get himself suspended. He only got five bookings over the whole season. Malumbi doubled that. Malumbi got 10. Now that is much better than last season where uh, Malumbi played... Uh, was uh, appeared in nine less games, but still got the same amount of yellows with and one red on top of that. But Malumbi still needs to improve his discipline. I think Yukoslu, once he's got a full preseason under his belt, I think we will see him smash through that 3,000 minutes barrier next season. Don't you, Pete? Yeah, I think so. Um, neither seems to be particularly injury prone, which is extremely important. Because, well, if they were, then you'd have to definitely be able to look at sign at least another another player behind them, and maybe two. So, having the ability to to always be available is is huge, um, and especially players of their quality as well. Um, you know, we've had a few players in the past that have been been very good players, but you just don't see enough of them, um, which is really frustrating. But these two seem to 
seem to be available for the vast majority of games. Um, and yeah, it's extremely beneficial for us and, and it'll only help them to strike up a partnership as well together. In terms of the alternatives, and as as we say, I think I think part of our hope with this is that is that we won't need the alternatives that much next season because if Malumbi can continue to improve his discipline and Yukoslu gets his fitness back to where it should be after a full preseason, hopefully we won't have to have to dip into the alternatives too much. But that being said, Pete, the, there appears to be a huge drop off, doesn't there, in in regards to who our alternatives are. I mean, Chalaba seems like the obvious replacement for Yukoslu, but he's nowhere near. He's absolutely nowhere near. 609 minutes over the, over the course of the season. Not not awful for a player that came in in January and obviously, unfortunately, got uh, got injured. But, I mean, he only wins 50% of his tackles. He doesn't make that many tackles. Rogic actually made more tackles and interceptions last season than Chalaba, and Rogic played less minutes. The, I was going through I was going through the data on Chalaba and I was desperately trying to find some sort of a redeeming quality and I'm sorry I just I just couldn't I don't know whether he's going to be a different player if he gets back to fitness and gets a full preseason because obviously he came he came to us off the back of not having played much football but at the moment. I'm struggling to really see what he brings to the side. And he's not, he's just not a viable alternative to OK Yokoslu for me. It's just an enormous drop off. And I to be honest, I don't see any way he gets shifted out. We've given him an 18 month contract and I don't see anybody rushing to take him off our hands. I don't think he'll be on awful money either, to be honest with you. I, I hope I'm wrong, but I feel like this could be another one of those transfers that we live to regret yeah my first thought with him is if he was on loan then I definitely wouldn't be trying to sign him but we did sign him on a proper contract as you say I think he's got one more year left on that um but he's not he's not really impressed I mean just looking at the numbers there's nothing in his passing that kind of stands out his progressive passing hasn't been accurate I mean he's he's tried a fair few but they've just the accuracy has been really low creative numbers are poor the only kind of Things that do look all right are his defensive numbers um, in terms of kind of successful defensive actions. Penalty is, is relatively high, it's above average for the league. And his aerial abilities, you know, his aerial jewels, penalty and aerial jewels, one percentage are, are above average for the league. But, again, but the it's... problem there is he's replacing, uh, but he's replacing one of, if not the best midfielder in the league for aerial jewels. So it yeah. it probably needs to be a bit better than above average, doesn't it? Yeah, exactly. It's as you say, it's a big drop off from Yakuzhlu to Chalaba by the looks of it. Um, you know, maybe maybe he'll look a bit better if he gets a full preseason under his belt. And um, I'm not actually sure how long he's he's out for whether he's going to miss preseason. But maybe for a full season, it'll look a little bit better. But I struggle to see how he's actually going to be competition for for Yakuzhlu. I think it's just he's definitely going to be seen as just backup. And the alternative to Malumbi does seem to be Taylor Gardner-Hickman. And again, look, it pains me to say it, but I do think it's a big drop-off. But probably less of a drop-off than there is between Chalaba and Yukoslu. I do think there's positives uh, to Taylor. He he did manage 11 starts last season, uh, 1,169 minutes, which is nearly twice Chalaba, 
over twice what uh, what Rogic made. So there's there is positives there. I think he's a different option to 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 Malumbi. I think he tries more things. And when we were talking before about neither Malumbi or Yakoslu attempts progressive passes, well, actually Taylor Gardner Hickman's progressive passes per ninety is not bad. To be honest with you, he also is a goal threat. He he overscored his xG, I think, more more than any other player in the Albion squad. Granted, he only scored two goals, but it was from 0.6 xG, and he, he is a bit of a he he's a bit of a long shot threat. Which I'm not sure that either Malumbi or Yakoslu can really claim to be. But I think I I, I think that. Um, I think that the problem with with Taylor Gardner Hickman is the mistakes he makes. It, it, that's that that's the simple fact with Taylor Gardner Hickman. He it, when he is on the pitch, he brings uh, our xG drops off by the most, which is largely down to mistakes he makes, costing costing chances, costing goals. I'm not going to bang on about the uh, about the the Sheffield United moment but it's not an isolated thing he made mistakes in the 3-2 defeat against against Birmingham as well he, he he does cost the team chances i think look he's a young man he's going to get better but i think everything's there for Taylor Gardner Hickman to actually be a really really good and different alternative to Jason Malumbi where if a game's not going our way, that you can put Taylor Gardner Hickman on, knowing that he is going to make progressive passes, that he's going to make progressive runs, that he's going to take shots. But until he can iron out those errors, I I just don't see um, uh, Carlos Corbran trusting Taylor Gardner Hickman from minute one. Because he could he, he he could just as likely win you the game as he could put you behind in it. And the data shows he's more likely to put you behind than win it. I think at the moment, Taylor Gardner-Hickman is going to be for emergencies only until he can iron out the mistakes. And he is young enough and he is talented enough to definitely iron those out, Pete. But I I, I think that's something that Taylor really, really needs to really needs to work on. That being said, what we saw this season... I felt was a completely different Jason Malumbi to the one we saw last season. And I would love it if we saw the same level of improvement in Taylor Gardner-Hickman, because I think he has the potential to do that. Yeah, I've got I've got quite high hopes for him for next season. I think I'm in similar thoughts to you that um, his actual ability is good and he has been quite useful when, when we've used him, but it's the mistakes that let him down. And it's the mistakes aren't really kind of technical ability, that are leading to the mistakes. It's more just kind of understanding and reading of the game, like that Sheffield United goal that he kind of gave away. He was it wasn't because he didn't have the ability to to complete a pass or whatever. It was more just to um, kind of an awareness of what was going on all over the pitch. So I think that is something that can definitely be be learned. And I think Corbin will probably be working with him a lot over in pre-season to just try and improve that kind of understanding. And it will come vague as well. So. Yeah, I think I think part of it though as well, it, it, and it becomes a bit of a. It's always a question where you find stuff out about young players. Is some people are just really good at taking on information and working to instructions, 
and some people aren't. And I and I guess I, over the next twelve months, as long as Corbrand stays Albion manager, and we all hope he does, or certainly Pete and I hope he does. I'm not going to speak for every Albion fan, but I, I think we will find out quite quickly what Taylor Gardner Gardner Hickman's capacity for taking on information is. Yeah, because I mean, as I say, the, the kind of if you look at just the numbers, they're all that stand out and generally above average he's quite well rounded in terms of his passes um, accuracy with his passes progressive passes are, are above average and so the accuracy of them so he can move the ball forward and not only with his passes he, he's above average for progressive runs as well so I think he's got a lot of ability and you know he shows a lot of energy like Malumbi and he's probably the most natural player to, to kind of fill that role especially with the way that Malumbi rotates with the players on the right often dropping into into right back and sometimes overlapping into to right wing as well with the positions that Garnetman has played in the past. You'd think that that's quite a natural position and kind of role for him to fill. So I think, yeah, as I say, I've got high hopes for him and I think he is a natural replacement for, or a backup for Malumbi, an understudy. Um, I can't see him being a first choice from the start of the season, but hopefully with a bit more experience, he can kind of um, grow a bit more and, and towards the end of the season, maybe even be battling Malumbi for that for that starting spot. And I think it's fair to say, look, Pete, my my personal take, and you tell me whether you agree with this, is that I mean, not that we would loan Taylor out anyway, because I just don't think we've got the finances or the wealth of options to do that. But even if we had a plethora of options, I still think that Taylor Gardner Hickman is going to learn more from being around Carlos Corbran day in day out than he is actually from go, going out and being on loan somewhere. I I think even if we went and signed a couple of centre mids this summer, I would still want Taylor around the setup because he's a versatile option. And I I just think the best thing for his development is being around Corbran. Yeah, I think I'd agree with that. I also think that if he did go out on loan somewhere in the Championship, I think he'd get alone to the Championship, but I think he could potentially have a very good season with somebody if he's playing regularly. But yeah, I just... I, I don't think we can kind of take the the risk on having him play regularly for us when it's going to be such an important season for us. But I do think he will learn a lot, even if he is not, even if he's not getting tons of minutes, just being kind of around the place and and being in Corbrand's training sessions. Um, yeah, the the amount of detail that he seems to go into, I think the Gardner Hitman will learn a lot and will develop, even if he isn't starting every game. The one other in this role that we need to mention is Alex Mowat, obviously currently uh, or just completed his loan at Middlesbrough because, of course, they lost in the in the playoff uh, semi-final to Coventry. And looking at his data with with Borough, Pete, he seems to almost be a halfway house between Taylor, uh, between sorry Malumbi um, and Yukoslu. He's actually very good in terms of his area, aerial duels. He's in the eighty third percentile for for the division. His progressive passes are decent, so it, he he offers that option which neither of those two do, and his assists per ninety are good as well. I, I do think with with Mowat in the system that Corbran plays, if he is still at the club, come the close of the window, I think he could offer us an alter, uh, an interesting alternative to alter the way we play alongside either Yukoslu sitting in or. Malumbi as 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 energy and legs alongside Moat, but what I would say is that 
I don't expect for one second for him to still be at the club. I think he's probably done enough in the latter few months of the season at Middlesbrough to probably attract a suitor. I I wouldn't be incredibly surprised if Middlesbrough themselves wanted him and they're one of the few clubs in this division that actually do have a few quid in their in in their in their pocket and I uh, I think that I I think the other thing with uh, with Moa is he's going into the last year of his deal and it's and it's the last opportunity to get I think we'd get limited amounts of money for him I think I think if we got anything into a million, we've done unbelievably well. I think far more likely we'd be talking in the hundreds of thousands for him. But it's a last opportunity to actually get some cash at a time where cash is sparse for our football club. So I personally think if Alex Mowat's not going to sign a new contract, and let's be realistic, he's not going to sign a new contract, I think you try and get him out the door this this summer. And that's not a reflection on Alex Mowat's ability, because as I've just said, looking at the numbers there, I actually think he could bring something to this squad. But he's going to be one of the higher earners in this squad. He's got one year left. It's one. It's it, it's it's a once once more opportunity to get some cash for Alex Mowat. I I just don't see any sense in keeping him personally. Uh, but like I say, not as a reflection of his ability, more on a reflection of the pure finances of the situation. Yeah, I tend to agree that I would, if we could move him, on, move him on, I probably would. He's quite good at passing the ball, but apart from that, you know, he doesn't offer too much in terms of getting good chances and he doesn't offer too much in terms of his defensive work either. He's obviously a big threat from from long shots, which is definitely useful to have in the squad and um can you know, it can help draw opposition defences out if they're just gonna sit deep if they've got the threat of moment hitting one from range. Um but yeah, apart from his, his passing, which is I mean, he ranks very highly in, in most most metrics for that. Accuracy, you know, progressive pass accuracy, um to the final pass the final third accuracy in numbers. So that's all good, but I just, I'm not sure he fits into what Corran's been looking to do this season either, to be honest. I feel like because of his lack of defensive contribution from his numbers, um, which may just be because Middlesbrough are quite a dominant possession, so they may not have too much defending to do. But Well, they don't seem to do any defense. Any defending, mate. I mean, they they came they came to the Hawthorns and were front foot from from the first minute. I I I actually really enjoy watching them. I think they're, they're Michael Carrick's Middlesbrough is so much fun to watch. But I've got to be honest. If 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 I was watching them, I I, I think it'd be well. It'd be, it's it's a it's like a level up from Mowbray's Albion and Billich's Albion in terms of how offensive they are. Yes, I, I mean, that probably impacts most numbers in terms of defensive numbers. So maybe it's unfair to say that on him. But I do feel like he, he might, may be better suited if we're playing kind of a bit more of a, a flat three or, you know, a deeper midfielder and then two kind of level. I'm not sure he could really do either what Yukuzlu or Malumbi's done this season. Um, so, yeah, I think we're in agreement there that if we could move him on, then... And he's probably best to move on and kind of free up a bit of the wage bill and, and maybe and get a little bit of cash. And let's be fair. I mean, given given that a certain Valerian Ishmael has just gone in at Watford, this, this seems a fairly obvious destination for him, doesn't there? Well, yeah, especially with one year left in his deal. We probably won't be asking for too much for him. And, and Watford tend to have a little bit of cash to spare, especially with 
Jao Pedro going now, now and, and maybe parachute a few more. payments as well. Yeah, exactly. So it seems to be a, a fairly good suitor for him. Just going in, moving now to the number ten role, Pete and John Swift. I mean, there's just no doubt in my mind that he's our most important player. I I, I really do think that. I know I, I know he gets some stick. I don't really understand why. I I I think there's a level where people maybe miss what he does, and this it it, it it's it's an interesting one because I think there's. Uh, we 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 recorded a special pod with uh, with a former Albion coach. I'll let you uh, take your guesses as to uh, as to who that might be that that we'll be releasing in the near future. And one of the lines that he came out with uh, when talking about the data was, "You use the data to enhance the eye test because you can't see everything that happens on the pitch." And I think there's an element of that with with John Swift where people just can't see everything that he does and and that's why the you don't you don't judge a player purely on their numbers but what you do do is use it to enhance your view of what they're doing and i think that's true of john swift our xg goes up by 0.53 when he's on the pitch he, he uh, on that metric he has is our most important player um he's on the pitch a lot 77% of the minutes which you have to say is pretty amazing for an attacking player because they're always more likely to get subbed than defensive players are on that metric Pete stunning that Jed Wallace played 95.7% of minutes for West Bromwich Albion last year that is that is absolutely unbelievable but when people start going uh, we'll we'll do Jed properly next week when we do the forwards but I have to say when you start talking about drop-off from a player, when a player is playing ninety five point seven percent of minutes, of course there's going to be some some lulls in their season. It's it, it's going to happen. Um, but I mean, just just to put John Swift going back to him into some sort of context, five point three four shot creating actions per game. The next best in our squad is Grady at three point seven eight. So he's not miles off. Well, a little bit off doubling it, one point five times the 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 next best. He completes three times more through balls than the next best. He's got nine assists, but more importantly than that, his expected assists is ten point five. So it's never John Swift's fault when the, when the player on the other end of his pass misses the chance. He should have uh, he should probably have eleven assists. He's got one hundred and eight key passes. The next highest is seventy three. That's 35 more. That's staggering. The only criticism, really, going through his data, and just to put him into perspective, not just of our squad, but the division, his shot-creating actions, he's in the 91st percentile. His expected expected assisted goals, he's in the 92nd percent uh, percentile. The only real criticism I have of him is his finishing isn't good enough because he's got six goals, and according to the data, he should have had eight. So... I, I just think he's an unbelievably good number 10 and he is vital to what we do. I realise financially, depending on what we decide to do, whether we twist and go again, I think if you're doing that, obviously you keep him. I think the only problem is he is going to be one of our highest earners. Probably he and Wallace are probably our two highest earners, I'm guessing. I don't know the uh, the wages, but I would imagine that they're certainly there or thereabouts. They're going to be on big money. And if you are trying to cut the cloth, then maybe there's an argument for 
for for selling him because he's on a long term contract and he's on he's on big money and you might actually be able to get a reasonable transfer fee on him because I think anybody who looks at the data even in the Premier League would look at him and go that's a player that could quite possibly do a job for us but I think all things being equal he's our most important player and you keep him and he plays a massive part next season yeah absolutely he's a brilliant player um and I wouldn't want to get rid of him in terms of basically all his all the creative metrics you can look at, he's, you know, one of the best in the league. I mean, I've a slightly different data provider, but I've got him his expected assists at fourteen point four and that's like quite comfortably the, the highest in in the league for attacking midfielders, um, especially on a per ninety basis. And it's not like he takes tons of passes to do it either, if you look at it on a per hundred passes basis. So kind of how efficient he is with creating as well. He's he's up there with as one of the best. Um, so basically everything you look at, you kind of, it's just up there with the best. Um, so yeah, I, I think we, and he, he does his defensive work as well, Pete. It's just that, cause I, th- I think he gets accused yeah. of being lazy sometimes, but it, you, when you look at the data, he does his defensive work. He just does it higher up the, uh, up the field. He doesn't win. He doesn't win a lot of challenges in, 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 in fight, in our final uh, third areas. But what he does do is is he he blocks a lot of passes. He actually blocked the second most passes in our squad behind Grady D and Garner. So when when there's a turnover in possession, it's not like John Swift stands in the number ten position with his hands on his hips. He he gets back and he starts cutting passes passing lanes. And he was he was in the seventy second percentile for attacking midfielders in terms of in terms of blocking passes so he's actually a good defensive option it's just it probably doesn't get noticed because he does it in the final third he tries to stop the ball getting out of the the opposition's defensive third and into areas where it can hurt us and people probably miss that a little bit well yeah I mean he plays as a number 10 so you're not going to expect him to be tracking back too much and and winning loads of tackles in the defensive third but he's definitely an important part of when we're pressing um, and I think he does his work his fair share of work for that you know, it's not always actually what you see in terms of winning the ball back, but it's quite often just kind of blocking passing lanes and cutting off options and forcing the opposition into corners, and then and then maybe somebody else wins the ball back. So, yeah, I think he he probably does a lot of it where people don't notice, um, but I definitely don't think he kind of you know is lazy defensively. I think he definitely puts in his fair share of work and is important when we're we're pressing high and trying to win the ball back. I think once again, though, Pete, the problem here is when we look at the alternatives, the drop-off is massive. I mean, Tom Rogic is the alternative in this position, it would seem, other than moving Jed Wallace around, which I think we've talked in depth about at times this season when he's gone into that role and I think I think I think the reality of Jed Wallace in that in that position is that he's not he's not very well suited to it he loses the ball too much because you made you made the point when when you're out wide you've really only got to defend the ball 180 degrees because you've got you've got the touchline to defend it the other side for you I don't think that Jed Wallace is very good at, at protecting the ball 360 degrees and that's why he is not a great option in that 10, but he's certainly a better option than uh, than Tom Rogic. Well, actually, I say that. It's hard to know because Tom Rogic's numbers on the pitch are just so pathetic. Four starts, 500 and 590 minutes. And he came in early, late in the summer window. He's not like Chalaber. Chalaber 
has got 19 more minutes on the pitch and we signed him in January and he got injured for the rest of the season with about five games to go. Rogic's numbers on the pitch are dismal. They're, they're dismal. And I can't, I genuinely can't judge his contribution as a footballer because he hasn't got enough minutes on the pitch for me to do it. But the fact that his minutes on the pitch are so pathetic makes me wonder what the point in him is. And I have to say, he is one player that I would be getting rid of this summer without a shadow of a doubt, Tom Rogic, because if you can't get him on the pitch, what's the point in him? Well, yeah, I mean, from the actual minutes that he has played, is his kind of creative performance and, and um, performance in dribbling metrics is is quite high and he looks quite good for that. But there's no point in having a player in the club paying the wages when you can't get them out on the pitch. Um, I mean, we said it with Malumbi and Yukushlu. And and those will be probably pretty good wages as well, Pete. Yeah, you would have thought so. Yeah, we said it with Yukushlu and Malumbi, two of the greatest attributes is the fact that they're available so much and we can actually use them. Rogic is the opposite and he, he probably is a, a very good technical footballer, but if he's not available, he's never going to be available, then there's no point in keeping him there. And yeah, for me, he's one that his contract's up, I'm pretty sure. And It is. It was a one-year deal, so you've got the option of releasing him. Yeah, and for me, I, I think you've just got to release him and, and move on and try and find somebody else to, to be back up in competition to Swift. Absolutely. And we will come to those backups in uh, in in the second part. Um, but uh, we will uh, we will be back after the break. Um, but remember, we do ha- uh, we are very proud to be a part of the TalkSport fan network and proudly supported by McDelivery. Picture the scene, all your mates around. You've got your McNugget share box ready to go. Partner this with your team playing champagne football. If you can picture that as an Albion fan, fair play to you. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. There's nothing quite like a McDelivery at participating restaurants. 18 plus serving times. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com for more information. And for more information on who we think Albion should be signing, we will be back after this short break. away days are great but there's nothing quite like playing at home especially with albion's home record under carlos corbran the same goes for mcdonald's maximize your home ground advantage with mcdelivery you in order now on the mcdonald's app at participating restaurants 18 plus serving times delivery fee and terms apply see mcdonald's.com Well, hello and welcome back to Albion Analysis with me, Chris Hall, and him, Pete George. So, we've talked about the players who are currently in our squad. Um, and I think the general consensus, Pete, is that the three that we've got, if assuming we keep the same 
formation, the, the, the two deep line midfielders and the number 10, we have absolutely no issues with. The, what we would possibly say about the deep line midfielders is that there isn't really a progressive passer in there. And if you had the alternative to switch it up in terms of other options, that would be nice. But I think what we're saying about the alternatives is we hold out a, a decent degree of hope for um, Taylor Gardner-Hickman, and we think that there is a real player in there who could develop. I think we're deeply underwhelmed with Chalaba, who I think we would struggle to get rid of, and we are very much of the clear consensus that both of us would be getting... There's no way we would be offering a new deal to um, uh, to Tom Rogic. Now, beyond that, obviously, you've got a couple of young options... Kevin Castro, uh, Jamie Andrews as well. I, uh, just just very briefly on, on those two, Pete, I think it's fair to say, uh, certainly my take is, I think Andrews is a good player. I question whether Castro will ever have the discipline to, to, to make it. I've, when I've seen him in an Albion shirt, I think he's mercurial. I think he's got a lot of talent, but I don't know whether he's ever going to have the discipline to be trusted as a championship football footballer. I do really like Jamie Andrews. I thought he was neat and tidy when he played against Chesterfield in the cup, but neither are anywhere near ready. And I think both need loans. Now, whether Castro is ever going to be ready, as I say, a question I'm, I think I might be right in saying that his contract might be up this summer anyway. I think there's a player in Andrews but I think he needs. I don't think he needs a loan. But I don't think we should be considering either as either as options going into this season. Do you? No, I, I agree with that. Um, both need loans. Castro seems to look. He looks to have a lot of technical ability and be quite an exciting midfielder. But when I've seen him, he doesn't seem to impact the game enough with that ability, and um, his decision making can often be quite poor as well. So if we do have, yeah, I think you're right in saying that his contract is up this summer um, but if that does get extended then I'd say he definitely needs a loan and uh, yeah Jamie Andrews again from what I've seen he, he doesn't look to be ready for, for first, team, first team football at the Albion so I think he needs a loan as well Absolutely which then in our mind with Rogic going Chalaber not really being good enough would leave us needing some more options I think in central in central midfield Pete I think primarily what we need is either something a little bit different in the deepest in the deeper positions. Um, I think to a certain degree, you're probably going to have to trust if Chalaba's still at the club. You're going to have to trust him as the replacement to Yukoslu and just hope that Yukoslu doesn't get any sort of a, a long-term injury. Because I mean, uh, but you might have some defensive midfielder options that you've seen that that you rather like and that could possibly play play his role. But the ones I've picked out are a little bit different. I struggled a little bit to find a ten. Um, because the two standout tens in the division that that that, that uh, were loaned, and I found I found very little to nothing on the free transfer list. But I so I ended up looking at the loans. Doyle and McAtee are the ones who could who could absolutely do the Swift role. They're unbelievable. They'd probably do it in a different way to John Swift. They'd be more of a goal scoring threat in there rather than the creative threat that John Swift is. But I just don't see either of them having a championship loan next season. I think they've excelled at Sheffield United from Manchester City. I, I, I can I'll probably see City sending them back out on loan. But I think I, I, I think for a start, I wouldn't be shocked to see if um, uh, Sheffield United try to get one 
of the of the two of them back. I'm not sure you can take two players from the same club in the, in the Premier League. So I'm not sure City could take both. But I, I I wouldn't be I wouldn't I'd be very very surprised if there wasn't at least a few Premier League clubs offering them the next stage in their development because I think I think they're they're certainly ready for a bottom end Premier League Premier League club. I don't think they're ready to go in and be involved at City with the plethora of options that they have. So I started looking around at other other loans, and I'm just going to throw four four names at you. Well, I'll throw them at you a little bit spaced out, Pete. We'll start off with the one that I do think could do Swift's role, maybe just a little bit differently. And that's Luke Cundle, who obviously scored against Albion on the final day for Swansea on loan from Wolves. And uh, just a little bit of a warning, there is a couple here that we'd have to borrow from our near from our near neighbours. He's decent for progressive passes. He's 21. He got three goals and four assists last season. I think he's a nice player, Pete. I think he's I think he's developing nicely. And I think what's interesting about Kundal is you could play him in Swift's role, but you could also bring off somebody like Malumbi in a game that we're chasing, play Kundal in the eight behind Swift in the 10, and he'd give you a much more offensive option. Yeah, I think he could be a, a good option and... Well, we've mentioned before that we need to make more use of the uh, the loan market because we didn't really use it at all this season. Um, and there's some very talented players in, in the youth setups of, of Premier League clubs especially. So if we can use that a bit more and, and bring players in from that, then it's going to save on the budget. And yeah, we can bring in some good options. In terms of his numbers, he ranks pretty well in most of his passing metrics um, and his technical ability as well. So... I think it would be a good option. Obviously, he completes a lot of passes at Swansea, but that's kind of more their style of play. He's accurate with them. Again, kind of style of play. But his creativity in terms of expected assists and um, expected assists per 100 passes, taking into account the number of passes at Swansea play, are all pretty high. So, yeah, I think it would be a good option. There's a couple that I'm going to bundle together because I think they're actually quite similar in terms of the qualities that, that they offer. Um and I think they could be they again they could be good alternatives in that uh, defensive role because they're they're more attacking than either Yukoslu or or Malumbi, but they're better on the ball and they're they're, they're better bringing the ball uh, the ball forward. And that is Hannibal, who's obviously been on loan at Birmingham from Manchester United in the eighty third percentile for progressive carries, eighty seventh percentile for progressive passes received. 91st percentile for assists, 90th percentile for expected assists. He would prob- he would make us much more offensive in that role. I think the other one that I'm really interested in, and this would be a, it'd be a little bit of a sickener, this one, because he's somebody that um, got taken away from us as a young player by Mr. Dowling deciding to overhaul our youth department and send a lot of them to Aston Villa. And one of the players that went with them was Tim Arobenham who was on loan at QPR last season. He's still only 19 years old. I think he's a phenomenal player, Pete. I mean, he's tall. He's rangy. He's 81st percentile for progressive carries. He's um, 80th percentile for for, for shots. Um, he's 86th percentile for touches in the attacking penalty area. He's 81st percentile for take-ons. But he's also 95th percentile for blocks. So he stops, he works hard on the other side of the ball as well. I think he would be 
such a good option for us in games where we expected to to have a lot of the ball where where you almost don't need your Koslu. You know, I I think back to, for example, the Rotherham home game last season, maybe even the Huddersfield home game and the Wigan home game. We're going to have games like that next season where teams come and show little to no interest in having a go against us. And if you had Narogbenham in the squad, you just you could just leave your Koslu out and and play him. The only question would be, for me, whether Villa would actually be happy to let somebody like Erobenham out or Man United let Hannibal out to a squad where you can't necessarily guarantee that they will be the first choice because Malumbi and Yukoslu are so well established. Yeah, I like Erobenham a lot. I've got a tool that kind of spits out what players are good at and what players are bad at based on the data and it's good scores of dribbling, offensive duels, ball carrying, goal threat, technical technical ability. And his bad scores, there aren't any. So, yeah, he's he's well rounded, and you know he's very good at well carrying the ball out and accurate, accurately moving it forward. Um, and he's a bit of a goal threat as well from midfield, which is always useful. So, yeah, I really like him. But like you say, would Villa be happy to send him out on loan when he's probably not? Well, he's definitely not guaranteed to, to be regularly starting unless he impresses from the start of the season. Um, that's a bit of a question there. Um, I think you mentioned Hannibal as well. Again, he's he's good in terms of his ball carrying um, and his creative ability, so would potentially be another good option there. Um, to play and probably... magnificent hair. Yeah, magnificent hair as well, which is you know always useful. The, the hair, the hair factor, mate. It's it's un, it's underplayed. I th- the, the, look, if it was good enough for Samson, it's good enough for Hannibal. You know what I mean? Like there's, there's power in that there hair. And uh, well. I think from what we saw as well, a good uh, long-range free kick taker apparently as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. If the if the goalkeeper's in a different postcode to his near post, yeah. Exactly. Um, but yeah, I think he would be, he'd be another good option on loan, um, probably to play more alongside Yakuzlu than, well, definitely not in in place of him. But yeah, I think I do believe it would be beneficial for us to to use the loan market um, and try and bring some of these young, promising footballers that are. Are currently at Premier League clubs, but aren't going to get get the minutes that they need there. Well, in that vein, the last one that I want to chuck at you, uh, chuck at you, Pete, and it is it's a more it's a, definitely a more defensive player, um, and one that I think we possibly could we we could get with, without promising them the world in terms of starts, and that's Charlie Patino who was on loan at Blackpool this season from Arsenal. Now, I'm sure people will be saying, oh, well, Blackpool have just got relegated. Yeah, but it was nothing to do with Patino. Patino was their best player for pretty much the whole season. I mean, when we come, when we come to the the attackers, don't be shocked if Morgan Rogers' name gets a mention as well. But I, I don't care if these players just got relegated with with a team. Patino's 19 years old. He's only going to be... A, he's only going to be better for his experience this season and he was definitely one of Blackpool's better players and the work he puts in in that midfield I mean what an alternative to Malumbi this guy would be or again in a game where we are going to have a lot more of the ball as a player to play alongside Malumbi and leave your out because we don't really need that deep lying player two goals four assists which 
is decent. Interceptions in the 94th percentile for the division, blocks 93rd percentile. He actually wins a lot of aerials for a guy who looks quite lean and uh, and lithe. He's in the 81st percentile there. His assist per 90, he's in the 81st percentile as well. I I look at Charlie Patino and see a guy who is I mean he's obviously not as far down his journey as um uh, as Jason Malumbi is but I see Jason Malumbi with more technical ability. Yeah, he's he's a very good player, like you say good defensively but also quite creative as well. Yeah, he seems to be quite a technical player which he may may not have used to his full potential at Blackpool. They played quite long at a lot of the time at Blackpool and, and maybe didn't really show all of his ability in terms of his technical ability. So it might be more used in, in Albion's style of play. Um, and I think it would be a good option again in the loan market, which is, is good for us. It's free. It's it's not tying players down to long contracts. Um, and he's definitely a player that I, I like. So another one that I'd be quite happy if we, if we could bring him in. And probably just a little bit, more realistic as well uh, as well Pete because the step up in quality in terms of going from Blackpool to West Bromwich Albion I mean I'd like to think we're going to finish above where Blackpool finished this season might be tempting to Arsenal in terms of a a bit of a trade-off with minutes he was always going to get more minutes at Blackpool but they might be happy to say okay he'll get less minutes at at Albion but he'll work with a good coach in Corbran and he will and he, and he he will be hopefully at a team that will be winning more often than than Blackpool will, and probably will be playing a bit more technically and through the midfield than than, than Blackpool. And at age nineteen as well, he's probably likely to be a little bit more patient also. Yeah, and it probably the way that Corbran plays and sets up his team is isn't quite a a modern kind of manager style, and similar to well has similar similarities to what Arteta tries to do at Arsenal. So. They'd probably be quite happy to send him at a place where he's going to get kind of an experience of football that that if he does make it through into the Arsenal the, the Arsenal first team, then it's going to have similarities to what they ask him to do there, which you know can only be beneficial for his development. Well, that's my list, Pete. Um, I'll, I'll throw to you because I know you've been scouring Europe. You've been on your on your personal jet, uh, going off to all, all the wonderful far flung corners of the uh, of, uh, of the continent to find us value. Well, I wish, but I mean, the truth is, I've not. I don't think I've actually seen any of these players play, so it's all going off data. Which um... okay, so you've been you, you, you've you've been in you've been in your car driving from Lincoln to the to the West Midlands. It's the same thing. Yeah, so, um, yeah, I think you've got to take all these with a pinch of salt because, as I say, I've not seen them play, but they just kind of stand out with the data. And from what I understand, they're all eligible for, for work permits, which is obviously an important thing. So I think to start off with a player who's maybe could be um competition to Yakuzlu is a player called Charles Van Hoot from Circle Bruges. Um I think he's out of contract this summer. Um, he's 24. They do have the club do have a extension in their favour if they want to trigger it. I think, but from what I can see, they haven't done it yet. Um, he seems to be very good in terms of his defensive numbers. You know, high number of jewels, um, very successful in them, and a lot of interceptions. And you would hope that the wages from a Belgian team as well wouldn't be prohibitive. Yeah, exactly. I mean, all of these are from. They're not from the top five European leagues. They're in the the band below that in terms of work permits. So, 
I think with all of them, you'd hope that the wages are um, kind of affordable for, for Albion, which is, I've, I've tried to be realistic when, when looking for these. Um, but Van Hoot, if that's how you pronounce it, is his pass accuracy isn't particularly high, but he tries a lot of progressive passes and his pass accuracy for those, for the progressive passes, is actually very high. It's at 83%, which is 10% above, above the average um, for that position. Both his expected assists, 100 passes and passes to penalty area both high. Um, so he seems to to not play many passes, but the ones that he does play are, are quite accurate. Um, are quite threatening, sorry. So yeah, I think he's he's got the defense. Well, looks to have the defensive numbers to to play um, some of the role to Yakuzlu, but maybe a bit more bit more ability in terms of being able to move the ball forward, which is is always useful. And at 24, it seems to be like quite a good age for for a midfielder to bring in as kind of an understudy to Yakuzla. One potentially somebody that could increase in value as well, which is something we've not done very well in 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 the past. You know, we've, we 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 haven't made a profit on enough players. Yeah, exactly. So if, the, if you get them at the right age um, and even get a couple of good seasons out of them, if you can then move them on for a profit, then, you know, it's always, it's always useful. In terms of a, a midfielder that maybe hasn't got that age on his side, and is a bit more of an offensive midfielder than the one just mentioned is Zhao Teixeira from, again, I have no idea if I'm saying this right, but Chavez in Portugal. He's 29, uh, out of contract. And again, um, I had a look at what his wages were on Football Manager, which yeah, definitely isn't perfect, but gives us an indication. And had him at 2.5 thousand euros per week, which is you'd hope is affordable for, for Albion if he was signed on something similar. Very good at progressing the ball, um, both through passes and carries. Um, so it's you know it's always useful to have both methods in in your locker and being able to to vary it. Very strong in his offensive duels. Um, above average for his expected goals per ninety, um, but quite low for expected goals per shot. So probably shooting from range there. It's quite weak in his defensive duels. So I think you would need somebody that's able to cover him, which is not necessarily an issue for Albion because we do have Okai Yakushlu who's very good defensively. He's Portuguese, um, so obviously he spent time on loan at Wolves, um, and he's appeared in in all the youth levels for for Portugal, but but never got a senior cap. So apparently went to Forest as well, although never played a game. Just one one of, uh, one of those weird ones where Forest sign a player and then don't play them. Yeah, I didn't did see that. I think he got a fair few appearances at Wolves. I think about seventeen in I think it was the twenty sixteen seventeen season. Yeah. I'm not sure if that was League One or Championship One. But the, but the positive here is that it is that it's a player that's not averse to coming to England because you 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 do get that sometimes, particularly with uh, with players where there's the, in in Portugal they're not necessarily it's not like Dutch players where 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 they're all going to pretty much be fluent in English. You and and it's a warm country as well. You do get some players who are just like. No, England's not uh, not for me. He's already been here, so you you know he's not averse to that. Although it's it is entirely possible that time in Wolverhampton has put him off. Yeah, and it's almost like you uh, knew what I was who I was going to mention next, which I'm pretty sure you don't. But is a Dutch player called Pele Clement, um, and he currently plays for again. Well, you probably... can't go wrong with Pele, can you? Oh, Clement. Actually, well, actually, we we did once go wrong with Pele, but there you go. <laughs> Yeah, true. Very true, actually. Um, but Clement, P. Clement, you know, that's got good good connotations for the Hawthorns. So, yeah, he currently plays for RKC, I'm going to say Valvike, 
but I could be absolutely butchering that, and I probably am. Um, and again, he's out of contract this summer. Um, he's somebody that I spotted last season in the data, and he's he's a bit more of a goal threat and a creative player, so he's probably going to be more competition um, for Swift. He likes to carry the ball and, and has good progressive numbers, again, similar to Swift there. So it could be um, potential competition for him. He's 27, so, uh, you know, probably coming into the kind of peak of his career. May not make profit on him in the future, but could be, I mean, the data suggests he could be a decent option to provide some some cover for Swift, which we definitely seem to be lacking at the minute. And um, another more attacking player is, again, somebody that I noticed last year in the data, um, Dino Hotic, again from Circle Bruges, um, out of contract. It's quite interesting because he doesn't actually play many passes, but he's got good creative numbers in terms of expected assists per 100 passes. So the passes that he does play seems to, to create chances with them. Um, I suppose the question is, can he um, scale that up into a side where he's going to see more of the ball and consequently play more passes? So can he create even more chances and kind of keep the proportion? Currently, he's creating a high proportion of chances for the number of passes that he plays because he doesn't play many passes. Can he create even more chances when he gets even more passes to be played? Um, it may be an issue, but um, if he can be as efficient as he has been for Circle Bruges, then you think he'd be a, a useful player and very creative. And just one final one that I spotted is a guy called Santiago Colombata, and he's on loan from Leon in Mexico to Camel Cow in Portugal. Um, I think they've got an option to buy him there. Transfer Marks has got his market value at €3 million. Euros. Um, he's not out of contract, so we'd have to cough up some cash whether we've got any. But Although we do we, we do have to take Transfer Marks' values of players uh, with a pinch of salt because they've got Carl and Grant's value at €5 million. Quid. Yeah, so it's, I mean, €3 million, Euros, you'd, maybe, we'd be, maybe we'd be able to afford him, maybe not. I suppose it depends what we do in the market as well. Um, but I think he's kind of maybe in between the first player I mentioned, Van Hoot, who seems to be a very defensive midfielder and the last couple of that I've mentioned in, in Clement and Hotic who are, are more attacking midfielders and probably swift replacements. Colin Bato seems to be kind of in between and, and maybe a bit more of what Malumbi does. Um, he's a good passer, progresses the ball regularly and accurately and just his overall pass accuracy is high as well so it would definitely suit a, a team that looks to, to keep the ball and, and have possession which we have done in, in games. Um, he's very aggressive with his defending. He's involved in a lot of duels, um, and he's pretty successful in them as well. But outside of his his passing, his progressive passing, and his aggressiveness, he's kind of pretty average in in most other metrics. So it's it's whether he stands out enough in in his strengths to to warrant being a potential signing. If you know he's kind of mediocre in in other metrics. So yeah, I mean that's just a couple of. Of players that may be interesting to look at in Europe. I don't know if Albin do still look at players in Europe because we seem to have not signed any from European scouting for quite a long time. I think Jokuslu and Diagne were kind of the last two that we signed from, from Europe, if I'm not wrong, and they seem to be on, on Allardyce's um, orders rather than club scouting. But yeah, I think, I mean, there's definitely, I mean, the, the pool of players has definitely been narrowed after Brexit, but there are definitely still options out there that, that could be of an interest. Well, there we go. That is our recommendations for who Albion should be looking at, what they should be doing with their existing midfielders, whether they should be who they should be keeping, who they should be letting go. 
Um, and we will move on to look at the forwards and the wide players for West Bromwich Albion in the next pod next week. Um, before we go, just a reminder, of course, we are part of the TalkSport Talk Sport fan network and proudly supported by McDelivery. Uh, away days are great. Well, sometimes. I mean, when, uh, when, when, uh, I went about 16 games without seeing Albion win, but uh, th- there's nothing quite like playing at home. And that was definitely true for Albion this, uh, th- this season because we got far more wins at home than away. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. There's nothing quite like a McDelivery. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. And until next time, when we will be back to assess Albion's forward options, which I think given the issues that we've had in that area might require us to come up with some decent solutions for who we should bring in in those areas. We will be back then. But until next time, thanks for listening and up the baggies. Albion have certainly been sharing the goals around this season. They're well into double figures now for different championship goal scorers. So why not take a leaf out of their book and do some sharing of your own with a McNugget share box? Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus. Serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.